Good morning. I see some new faces here. At Windsor Community Church, we have four pastors, and we rotate through teaching. We each take three or four weeks at a time, so you'll see us up here every nine or ten weeks. We don't have a full-time guy. I'm paid half-time, Danny's paid for five hours a week, and then Chris and Dean are doing it without pay. And it's, uh, by God's grace, it's working. It keeps us completely dependent on the Lord. So when I get up here, you know, I feel like it's a counseling session. Uh, you counseling me, me telling you all of my issues. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to, next Sunday, I'm going to bring up a couch and, and just preach from the couch. And it, there's nothing like being in God's Word to, to be just convicted. The Holy Spirit just convicts me of areas of my life that I need to shore up the blind spots of my life. What it also does is it just reminds me of God's abundant grace and His mercy and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as, as I'm up here, there's just, you're going to get a lot of me, a lot of uh, personal stories and what the Lord's doing in my life. And I pray that the Lord would use His Word first and foremost to impact your hearts and to change you, give you a deeper desire to fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and to give everything you got to Him. And then secondly, I hope that some of the stories and the experience the Lord has given me will touch your hearts as well. For those of you that are new with us here today, we planted a church. What that means is, is we sent about 40 people. And it's interesting, after you plant a church, the numbers start changing after a while. It feels like we sent 70, but they say we only sent like 12, but I think it's probably something like 40. I think it feels like 70. And when we left Mountain View six years ago, when Mountain View sent us to Windsor to plant this church, I'm pretty sure we sent 72, but they said it was 92, so I don't even know. And it just doesn't matter. But 11 months ago, in August of last year, we... You and I, by God's grace, we sent 30-some people to Greeley to start a church. And we saw a video last week. And if you weren't here last week and you missed this video, it was an encouraging, encouraging time to see what the Lord is doing over there because of your sacrifice and because of His leading. And if you'd like to see that video, talk to Chris or I after the service, and we'll make sure you get a copy of it, and you can watch it with your family or your community group. The last 11 months, we've been teaching through 1 Corinthians. And last week, we started the last chapter in 1 Corinthians, chapter 16. And before that, Chris and Danny spent seven weeks in chapter 15. You tracking with me? So we're going to finish up 1 Corinthians next Sunday. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. And in chapter 15, Pastor Chris and Pastor Danny got to talk about heaven, about the resurrection, how we are going to spend eternity in imperishable bodies, where there's no more sickness, there's no more sadness, there's no more sin. And chapter 15 was really a hymn of victory and hope. The victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope we have of spending eternity with Him. Amen? Chapter 16 started out last week, and now the collection. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians made an abrupt transition from heavy, heavy doctrine to the practical, to the here and now. And that's really what chapter 16 is, is is really a practical chapter. And it's also a transition, it's a bridge to the second book of Corinthians called 2 Corinthians. Last week we talked about the first four verses where Paul emphasized giving. And that giving is really an act of worship. In fact, giving is the ultimate act of worship. When we give to the Lord, 
by putting money in the offering box or the plate or whatever, however you do it, that is the ultimate act of worship because God calls us to give sacrificially and cheerfully. And quite frankly, as I mentioned last week, I've never really seen, I've heard people say it, but I've never really understood that my giving could be an act of worship. And truly it is because when we give, what we're doing is we're holding it like this. We're saying, Lord, this is not my money. This is your money. Lord, may this be a sacrifice of praise and worship to you. So giving is definitely and most certainly an act of worship. In these verses last week, in the first four verses of chapter 16, Paul emphasized the importance of the collection. He tells the church in Corinth when to give, who should give, where, how much, and how often to give, and who decides how my gifts are to be distributed. And if you'd like to know more about that, go on the website and listen to the message. There's three underlying principles in last week's message. Principle number one, doctrine and duty go hand in hand. Whenever you see in the Bible the writer talking about heaven or about the second coming, it's a call to live faithfully on the earth. Okay? So whenever you hear heavy doctrine in relationship to the resurrection, the second coming, heaven, it's a call to live a practical, faithful life here on earth. Second principle, heaven, not earth, is my home. These are all from last week. Heaven, not earth, is my home. If we truly believe that we're going to leave this world, live all eternity with God in imperishable bodies where there's no sin, where there's no sadness, where there's no sickness, we need to recognize that this is not our home. And I'm firmly convinced that the biggest obstacle to giving in the church today, I'm not talking Windsor Community Church, I'm talking about the church at large worldwide, the biggest obstacle to giving today is the illusion that earth is our home. And it is a huge concept that I can't wrap my mind around. That we are aliens on this earth. This is not our home. I gave an example of somebody visiting from the Czech Republic to the United States. And they're only here for three months. And they can earn money, but they can't take any belongings back to the Czech Republic. Would it make sense for them in their temporary stay in America for three months living in a hotel room to accumulate all kinds of stuff that they can't take back with them? No, what they would do is they would earn money and they would send it back to check where their real home is. And that's a beautiful picture of what our responsibility is and our calling is as aliens here on this earth where we are residents of heaven. Third principle is money leads, the heart follows. Money leads and the heart follows. Where we're spending our money, also our time, it's really where our heart is. If you want to care more about eternal things, then reallocate some of your resources to things that are going to last from the temporal to the eternal. God wants our heart. He's not just looking for donors that are philanthropic that drop money in the plate every week or in the, in the giving box. We don't pass a plate here at Windsor Community Church. And I want to emphasize as well, because when a pastor talks about giving, there's always a discomfort. I always see people squirming, holding on to their wallets. Here at Windsor Community Church, the pastors don't have any idea how much anybody gives. And it's just kind of a policy that we set from day one. And it's really to protect us from thinking wrong. You know, I was a stockbroker for 20 years, and it was so hard for me to not see particularly wealthy people as a prospect. You know, so we don't want to know how much you give. We just want to love you and serve you and point you to God's word and just let giving be between you and the Lord. 
That's what it says in God's Word. It's, it's really between you and the Lord, and you're not to give out a compulsion. You're not to give out a guilt. You're to give out of a joyful heart, cheerfully. We're going to slide in today's message. The first four verses last week, Paul gave a clear directive on giving. When to give, who's to give, where to give, how often to give, who's to distribute the giving. This week, there's no directive. Paul doesn't tell us to do a thing in the next five verses. But when we look at these verses, we can learn a lot by Paul's life and by his example. So when you're leading Scripture, this is a great example of how you to read Scripture. There's times in Scripture where there's do this and do that. There's other times where it doesn't say do this and do that. We just got to look at the example of the writer. The writers are not perfect. The writers are sinful, but the words on the page are perfect. They're inspired. They're God's word. They're infallible. So these five verses are not directives. In verses 5 through 9 that we're going to cover today, Paul is giving the church in Corinth more details on his planned arrival. Paul is coming to Corinth, as we learned in the first four verses, One of the primary reasons that he's coming is to pick up the collection or to make sure that there was a collection for the poor believers in Jerusalem. From the verses today, we're going to learn how Paul made the most of every opportunity. It's the title of today's message, Make the Most of Every Opportunity. And Paul did it in four ways. By making plans and setting goals. Paul was a goal setter. He always had a plan. Two... He let the Lord shape the plan. He didn't hold his plans like this. I worked hard on it. I want this. I'm going there. He made plans. He said, Lord, you shape the plans. Three, he prioritized the sharing of the gospel. Paul was first and foremost about sharing Christ, seeing people come to know the genuine Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His ministry was primarily to the Gentiles, not the Jews. Fourth is, is he prioritized edifying or building up the body of Christ. Paul is about those four things. Let's read the uh, scripture together. Before I do that, let's pray. Father, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you that you are loving. You are faithful. You are trustworthy. We thank you, Lord, that you gave us minds to think, to plan, to dream. Yet, Lord, you've called us to trust you. And let you direct our steps. Lord, it is such an odd concept, particularly here in America, where there's so many things that we want. There's so many places we want to go. There's certain style retirements we want. There's certain amounts of money we want in our bank account. Lord, even in Christendom, there's a certain number of churches we want, a certain number of people we want to see saved in a certain time period. And God, I just pray that you would just show us here today by the example of Paul, and even your own example in your ministry, Lord Jesus, of how to be purposeful in our planning and our goal setting, but how to let you cause us to switch lanes, to change directions, maybe when it doesn't feel good. I thank you that you would help us be a body that is characterized by a love for the lost, for the unchurched, for those who have yet to bend their knee. Also, Lord, that we would be characterized as ones that prioritize spending time in edifying, building up one another in the body of Christ. Lord, I just pray that you would edit anything that I plan saying this morning. 
Lord, you know that I am weak. And I just pray that you'd be strong in me and through me. Lord, my desire is to decrease so that you might increase. Please soften and mold hearts. Have people see past me. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 5 through 9 together. I'm going to actually start with verses 1 through 4, if that's okay. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save, as he may prosper, that no collections be made when I come. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. But I shall come to you after I go through Macedonia. For I am going through Macedonia, and perhaps I shall stay with you or even spend the winter, that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now, just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective service is open to me, and there are many, many adversaries. I want to just give you a little bit of history. Would you throw the map up there? So what's going on here, why this is important, is to really understand, particularly as we go into the second letter of Corinthians, the Corinthians are challenging Paul's apostleship. They think that Paul has not been faithful and that he has deceived them. And you need to understand where he's at. And right now he's involved in his third missionary journey. He is writing from Ephesus right now. Ephesus is actually the second star over the left, right on the Aegean Sea just north of the Mediterranean Sea. And he started this third missionary journey in Antioch. He traveled to Ephesus for the first time. He'd never been there before. And many people were saved in Ephesus, and churches were established, and he spent three years in Ephesus. And that's where he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. And then he told the Corinthians that he was coming to them. He was coming to encourage them, because he had established the church in Corinth on his second missionary trip. You follow me? So he's going from Ephesus to Corinth for the second time. And he had told them that he was coming straight across the Aegean Sea, directly to Corinth. And then he was going to go from Corinth after a visit up into Macedonia, which is where Philippi and Thessalonica are. And then he was going to come back to Corinth. He was going to visit them twice. And he was going to do that pronto. So Paul was a master. He was continually making plans and setting goals. And it got him into trouble a lot. And this is a slippery slope because Paul oftentimes would make plans and he'd write in his letter what his plan is. I'm coming to see you. In fact, I'm going to see you twice. And he would change his mind. But he wouldn't change his mind or go back on his word out of convenience because he just didn't feel like going. He would change his mind because the Lord redirected his step. The Lord changed his plans. And particularly for you young people, hear what I'm saying here. And we're going to go into more detail, but it's good to make plans. It's good to make weekly plans. That husband's a real practical thing to do if you're not doing it already is to sit down with your brides on a weekly basis. We've gotten out of the habit of that. We need to start doing it more. Monthly basis and once a year, setting plans. Dreaming together, seeking the Lord together, and then let the Lord direct those steps. 
So in verse 5, it says, But I shall come to you after I go through Macedonia. This is new information. For I am going through Macedonia. Remember originally, he said, I'm going from Ephesus across the Aegean Sea to Corinth. After I visit you in Corinth, I'm going to go up to Macedonia, visit Philippi and Thessalonica, then I'll come back into Corinth. Now he's telling them for the first time something different. He says, but I shall come to you after I go through Macedonia. And the Corinthians are going, go through Macedonia, I thought you were coming straight from Ephesus. And he tells them, for I am going through Macedonia. And this little verse here caused a lot of problems, as we're going to see in 2 Corinthians. This is new information. And that's why Paul had to emphasize it. As we look at 2 Corinthians 1, 15 through 17, and I'm not going to spend much time at all there, because we're going to be there in the next month. It says this, In this confidence I intended at first to come to you, that you might twice receive a blessing, that is, to pass your way into Macedonia, and again from Macedonia to come to you, and by you to be helped on my journey back to Judea. Instead, he only saw them once. This is not the first time that God adjusted Paul's plans. And I really want to use those words purposefully, that God adjusted Paul's plans. It wasn't that Paul changed his mind. Paul was so in tune with the Spirit, and he held his plans like this, that God, he knew when the Lord was going to change. He knew God's voice when it was time to change. On his second missionary journey, Paul had planned to visit the brethren in every city in which he proclaimed the word of God and to see how they are. You see, what Paul would do is he would go around and plant churches. He'd start churches, and then he'd loop back around and encourage them. That's what he did. Instead, he only saw them once, and this actually caused an integrity issue, as we already talked about. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but as we get into 2 Corinthians, you're going to see a lot of it. And just make a note in your programs, if you want to study this further, in Acts 18 through 21, it talks about his third missionary journey. So it describes his time in Ephesus. It describes his time in Asia, which is where Ephesus is, in Achaia, which is where Corinth is. And it describes his time in Macedonia, which is where Philippi and Thessalonica is. And it's just a great parallel. Paul truly desired to be a pleaser of the Lord than a pleaser of men. Paul, at the end of the day, you know what? He didn't really care what people thought. He really didn't. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't want to offend people. But if the Lord was calling them somewhere, and he knew it was going to cause a problem for other people, he'd go with the Lord. He'd go with the Lord. And the Corinthians were ticked at Paul's fickleness and his perceived lack of reliability. What are your plans? What are your plans? What are you hoping to do? You know, as a church, we've got plans and hopes for a church plant in Loveland. That's our plans. That's our hopes. We don't have a time frame on it. And we're going to talk a little bit about some other plans that the church has made that the Lord has completely redirected in a minute. Do you have a plan to retire at a certain age? A plan to have a certain amount of money in your bank account? Do you have a plan to reach a certain age, a certain maturity level before you start having kids? Do you have a plan of when you're going to leave your job and do something else? It's good to have plans. You know, our family right now, we're, we're without a plan on... When school start in Windsor? August what? 21st, something like that. I think it's the same in Fort Collins. And we don't know where our high school son is going to school. We're kind of a family without a plan there. And we really need to make a plan, but hold it loosely.
Second, hold your plans loosely. Verse 6. And Paul says then, and perhaps I shall stay with you or even spend the winter that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. I underline two words here. Perhaps. The only thing Paul knows for sure is he's coming to Corinth. He doesn't know if he's even going to stay with them for sure. And then after he stays with them, he's not sure where he's going after that. So Paul just kind of takes one step at a time, saying, Lord, okay, what next? Okay, right foot. All right, turn right. And he just follows the Lord's prompting on a very practical basis. He knows he's headed to Corinth, but he has no idea how long. Maybe a couple days, maybe the entire winter. Oftentimes the Lord gives wisdom on a certain direction, but gives us no clue on timing. How many of you remember we're at Mountain View long enough when Willie wanted to leave Mountain View and plant a church in Greeley? Some of you remember that? A couple of you remember that? This was back in 99, something like that. And he wanted to plant a church in Greeley. And the leadership at Mountain View wasn't quite sure it was, a, was the best timing. But what they did is they just they released them. said, go over there and till up the soil. It wasn't the Lord's timing. Two years later, you know what the Lord was preparing us all for? For this. So w- there was plans to start a church in Greeley in 1998-99. But the Lord redirected those plans. And instead, he had this for all of us. But I'm a planner, I'm a dreamer, I'm a prodder. I'm always pushing people forward. In the last, really last six years, ever since this church started, I've been gathering people for a church in Greeley. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. And then the Lord prompted Willie's heart, and people were gathered, and there was a church. So it's not bad to press on, to gather people, to make plans. As long as you don't make the plans with a what? An agenda. There's a difference between making plans and having an agenda. So sometimes he gives you a plan, but you're not quite sure what that plan is, and it goes in a different direction. Other times he actually moves you. I told you last week that I left a 20-year career, and the Lord, I knew it was not a mistake. I just, I mean, it was, a, it was obedience leaving that job. And what I thought and what the Lord had planned were two different things. So it's good to make plans, but oftentimes we don't know what the result is and which fork in the road God's going to steer us to. Proverbs 16.9, the mind of man plans his way. But what? The Lord directs his steps. For some of us, it turns us off to make goals, set plans. You know, I'm one that says, you know, let's, let's, have, let's go for 10 church plants in the next five years. Let's pray for 60 people to come to Christ and that type of thing. And others go, just let the Lord do His thing. And both of those are right and both of those are wrong. I think the Lord wants us to make plans and to dream. But let Him direct your steps, amen? James 4, 13 through 17 says this, Today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such city, And spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit, earn millions. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor. You're just a vapor. That's our life here on this earth. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while 
and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. How many times, brothers and sisters, are there times, oftentimes in my life, where I know the right thing to do? I know the right thing to do, but I go the other direction out of convenience. It may be sharing Christ with somebody. It may be giving money to somebody that's hurting, but I feel like I can't afford to separate myself from that money. The Lord wants us to be so in tune to His Spirit that our plans are continually being adjusted for His glory. So Paul was characterized as a man who made plans continually and a man that held his plans like this. Two of the things that characterized Paul's ministry in his life is one is his edifying of the believer, building up of the believer, and two is sharing of the gospel. That's what he sold his life out to. Paul made the most of every opportunity by edifying the believer, by building up the believer. Verse 7, For I do not wish to see you now just in passing. Even though he knew he was coming to Corinth, he didn't know how long he was staying. His desire was not just to come through in passing, but to stay a while. For I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. You know anybody that always says, God willing, or if God wills, you got to love it. you got to love it. Put that tag at the end of all your plans, at the end of your dreams. If God wills, if the Lord permits. A couple of scriptures that go hand in hand with this in Colossians. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, And we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's a picture of building up the body of Christ. Edifying the body of Christ. Paul knew that it wasn't just his responsibility to lead people to Christ. It was his responsibility to disciple people that are in Christ. And he says, And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. First Thessalonians 3.10, he says, And we, day and night, keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face, and we may complete what is lacking in your faith. Paul was a lover of people. He loved spending time with believers. And he had a responsibility, just like you and I have, to edify one another, to build each other up, to encourage one another, to sharpen one another. That's what the body of Christ is for. That's why we gather. That's why we have churches. It's a place to use our gifts to glorify the Lord and to edify each other. Acts 19, 9 through 10. Dr. Luke says, But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, let me give a little context here. This is talking about when Paul was in Ephesus. Paul's writing this letter in Ephesus. Remember that. Okay? Now, this is Luke who wrote Acts describing what was going on in Ephesus at the time Paul wrote the letter. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, the way being the gospel, Before the multitude, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples. Paul withdrew. He took the disciples away, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Do you know there was a school of ministry in Ephesus? 
And the purpose of the school of ministry was to edify and build up the believers so that they can stand firm in their faith and refute the lies of the enemy and people that came against the gospel. They reasoned daily in the school of Tyrannus, and this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So folks, that's why we have community groups. That's why we've got the essentials class. That's why we desire men meeting with men, women meeting with women, is to sharpen each other, to strengthen and edify each other. And that's what Paul is about. Not all about, but that's a prime ministry. The last line in verse 7, if the Lord permits. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is a life verse for me. And it's one that we should have whenever we set goals or have a business plan for those of us that own businesses. These scriptures, we got to tag on to the end of it. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways. And what? He'll make your path straight. We don't need to worry. We don't need to worry about our next job, when we're going to retire, if we're going to have enough money in the bank account. If we trust Him and we acknowledge Him, how do we acknowledge the Lord? Prayer is one of the main ways that we acknowledge Him, that He reigns on high. That He is the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. And don't lean on our own understanding. Some folks are gifted with discernment. With what, what comes with being gifted with discernment is thinking that you got the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, where you get the uh, omniscience of the Holy Spirit, where you're able to see into people's minds and hearts. You're able to understand what the Lord's doing. That's so wrong. I'm gifted in discernment, and that's one of my main sins. Don't not. And that I, <laughs> I really feel like, I mean, that sometimes I can smell something. So, something's just not right. <laughs> and, you, and you did it. And, and here's what you did. And oftentimes I'm right that I smelled something, but I'm so far off base what it is. What I end up doing is I end up judging hearts. So don't lean on your own understanding. You can't depend on it. Your understanding is garbage. My understanding is garbage. What I mean by that, it's not our understanding of the Scripture, but thinking that we have discernment, that we can figure out outside of wise counsel and outside of God's Word what's going on. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will make your path straight. Amen? The second thing, really the fourth thing, that characterizes Paul's life. It's the thing that we most associate with Paul is that he made the best of every opportunity in sharing the gospel. And praise be to God, his mission was to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, to you and I. It says in verse 8 and 9, but I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. This has got to be frustrating the socks off the Corinthians. Because in verses 1 through 4, he said, take a collection so that when I come, I can make sure it gets to the poor believers in Judea, in Jerusalem. And now he says, by the way, I'm going to remain in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door for effective service has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. 
Paul was so single focused in trust in the Lord and acknowledge him in all his ways that he was willing to tick people off and have them question his authority as an apostle which we're going to see most of 2 Corinthians is all about but Paul wanted to please the Lord when the Lord opened a door for effective service Paul willingly and boldly walked through it and there's times in our lives when the Lord opens a door and we've got to walk through it at the expense of comfort at the expense of whatever other plans we have open door there's three verses, uh, one in Acts, one in Second Corinthians, and one in Colossians that talk about this. Acts 14, 27-28. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, the believers together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul's a Jew. It made no sense for him to have a ministry to the Gentiles. But the Lord so clearly opened that door, and against all opposition, Paul walked through that door. And praise be to God, had a ministry, shared the gospel boldly to the Gentiles. 2 Corinthians 2.12 Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord. Paul's continually talking about the Lord opening doors. Paul's not going into towns and, and trying to force a door open. He's looking for open doors. He's looking for opportunities that the Lord is already working. And that is, should be our heart here in Windsor. So many times I want to pry the door open or kick the door down. There's already doors that are open. And as we're praying, let's pray that the Lord would show us where these doors are in Windsor community, in the, in the community of Windsor. Opportunities with neighbors, with co-workers, with our kids, friends, parents. And let's boldly and confidently walk through those doors. Because the work of saving faith, the work of the gospel is not our job. We're simply administrators of it. We administer the healing salve of the gospel to people. It's the Lord's job to open the door. It's our job to walk through it. To give the gospel, and it's the Lord's job. There's probably a better word. Please forgive me if that offends you. It's His job to save people. Doesn't that take the pressure off? Doors are open at work. Doors are open in the neighborhood. And I don't know about you, but so often I miss those opportunities. Colossians 4.3 Praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up a door to us for the word. He asked the Colossians to pray that God would open a door for His Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which also I have been imprisoned. Paul had a right to ask his Colossian brothers to pray that the Lord would open a door. Paul could not leave Ephesus while the door was open. There's a wide door for effective service. There's no way he could go over to Corinth and do the work over there when there's finished work, when there's people that are, the hearts are softening for the gospel. Only the Christian who's doing his present work for the Lord thoroughly and faithfully can expect his ministry to grow. If we're not being responsible in the small things, the Lord says clearly in his word that he's not going to allow us to be stewards of bigger things. Let me give you a couple of examples. Stephen and Philip 
started out waiting tables. Acts 6. They were really the first deacons. They started out waiting tables. And it was to free the apostles up to word and prayer. They were faithful in waiting tables. They were literally waiting tables. They were faithful in that job. And if you think about the way the Lord used them in bigger things, I believe that Paul, that the Lord softened Paul's heart primarily because of Stephen's testimony and the word that he shared while he was being stoned to death. That the Apostle Paul was right there. Philip, one of the waiters, boldly shared Christ to the eunuch. And many people in Africa, Africa was completely unreached. Paul had not been up there yet. And this eunuch was from Ethiopia, which is in Africa. So I believe that the Lord is not going to allow us blessing in our lives as a church until we're responsible for the small things. And I'm not even sure what the small things are. Maybe one of those is prayer. Maybe that's what the Lord's doing. You know, we've changed our core values. We've changed our mission statement. Our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, to see people come to true saving faith, to see them discipled after that. And oftentimes, at least with my personality, it's, you know, it's to change things on paper. But I really believe that the small thing, the small thing, the small sacrifice that the Lord wants for us is prayer. And for us to pray together, to cry out to Him as a body of believers. That He have mercy on our families. That He have mercy on this country. That He have mercy on this town called Windsor. Where there's people that don't know the Lord. That are living comfortable lives. And headed straight to hell. And my desire and my prayer is that the Lord would help us see people that way. Would help me see people that way. That he desires not to see one perish. Becoming a faithful servant of the Lord does not begin with some great opportunity. But with doing the best possible work for him in routine things. You know, at the end of this verse, it says, For a wide door for effective service is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Why did Paul drop that in, that there are many adversaries? I don't know about you, but I want to drop tail and run when there's adversaries. But Paul knew that when the Lord is working, when the Holy Spirit is ready to do a work, there's adversaries. And Paul mentioned that because he wants to be there to strengthen the saints, to combat the lies of the enemy, and to see people come to true saving faith. You know, when I put this in my notes, and I believe it's true after reading through this, I crossed it out once, but it reappeared on my second set of notes, so I'm going to read it. Paul was about edifying and encouraging the body of Christ. But if there was an open door to proclaim the gospel, he would drop the believer like a hot potato. If there was an open door, if Paul was up here preaching right now, and people were engaged in what he had to say, and there was somebody out there that opened that door and said, I need to know about this Jesus. I'm tired of living in my sin. I'm tired of not having any hope. Paul would say, good luck, and he'd be out the door. His primary focus 
was on seeing people enter the gates of the kingdom to live in eternity with the Lord Jesus. Secondarily, was edifying the body of Christ. He did them both, though. Lastly, evangelizing and edifying was what Jesus' ministry was all about. Luke 19.10, it says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save which is lost. That's why Christ came, to seek and to save that which is lost. He also spent three years at the end of his ministry with the disciples to equip them, to build them up. It says in Acts 1.3, Until just before his ascension, he continued teaching them the things concerning the kingdom of God. So even when he came back for those days, his whole purpose was to edify, strengthen, to build up the church. He preached the gospel to those who did not know him, and he taught those who did. Our mandate, folks, is the Great Commission. And I've seen it in a new light as I've looked at it this week. There's two tasks that should be our heart that come straight out of the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What is that? Sharing the gospel. It's evangelism. That's a great commission. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's edification. That's the building up of the body. How does this order of evangelism look in our homes? Church and community. Are we more concerned about seeing people saved or seeing people growing? I think we need to be concerned about both. Our desire as pastors here is to see people and see ourselves grow in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That our life would be sold out at every turn. And one of the fruits of being sold out is being missional. I love, brother, the title of the men's retreat. Because that's what we're called to as believers. It's building relationships, loving the lost. It's hard. It's hard. I know it's hard. I battle with it every day. And for the first time since I've had kids, I may be having one of my boys go to a public school. Some of you are going, big deal. And the rest of you are going, and it's, you know, we want, our ki- we want to teach our kids to be missional, yet we've we got to protect them. We don't want to send them out to the wolves, do we? We've got to protect them. You know, it's, we don't want to invite somebody over necessarily, you know, that the guy or the lady swears like a sailor. But there's, there's, there's some balance there, and I don't know what it is. The Lord wants us to love people, love them into the kingdom. I want to bring up the Bab family. I want to bring up anybody in their community group. And this is really an appropriate message today for what the Lord is doing in Alex's life. Alex, last year, spent nine months with YWAM, Youth with a Mission in Norway. And it was really an equipping time, a time where she was being equipped as a missionary. And now she's leaving for two years to be a missionary back in Norway. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is a young lady that you don't know exactly what the next two years look like, do you? Uh, no. 
You might be back next summer. You might not. Yeah, depending. Yeah. There's just a lot of unknowns. The only thing she knows for sure is that she's leaving on Thursday, and she's going to be over there for nine months, and they say a lot of yeah. You know that for sure, right? I do know that for sure. And the church, you all, we're coming alongside her, and she's going to send out regular prayer updates so we as a body can pray for her. We are, by God's grace and your sacrifice, we're able to support her. And we just want to take a little bit of time just laying hands on Alex, thanking the Lord for his faithfulness in her life and his protection. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and praise you. We thank you, Lord, that your grace that has worked so clearly in Alex's life. Thank you for her last year and how she so obviously fell more in love with you and desires to follow you at a deeper and more intimate level. Lord, there's a lot of excitement on this trip, a lot of excitement in leaving and going to Norway. There's a lot of uncertainty, and Proverbs 3 is so appropriate. And I pray, Father, that the power of your Holy Spirit, that she'd be able to trust in you in all of her ways, that she'd lean not on her own understanding, that she would acknowledge you in all of her ways, and that you would make her path straight. I pray, Lord, that she would draw close to you. Father, that she would build relationships, that she would be able to sharpen others and let others sharpen her as iron sharpens iron, that she'd be an edifier of the body of Christ there in Norway, and that the body would edify and build her up. And, Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength and the boldness to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to the lost and dying people in Norway. I pray for Mark and Darby. Lord, I know this is a sacrifice of huge proportions for them. Pray that you would strengthen them. Lord, that they would trust you with Alex. That they would take joy in how you've used them in imprinting their kids for eternity. For their faithfulness in raising up their children in the way they should go. Lord, we look forward to hearing of how you're working in Alex's life and how you're using her to edify the body and to reach the loss in Norway. And God's people said, Amen.